Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, hope you had a wonderful weekend. Uh, I want to call it the Resurrection Weekend, but of course, uh, we celebrate that every day, all year round. Uh, One thing I find is fascinating is after the Resurrection, uh, when Jesus was on earth for another 40 days and his appearances to people, the one I find really fascinating was when he met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and uh, Cleopas, um, and he started just opening up the scriptures and, and really teaching them, reminding them what the Old Testament had to say about him, <laughs> about the Messiah, and they were blown away. Their hearts burned while they were on the road as Jesus was explaining the scriptures about himself to these disciples. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, or I guess they were walking down the path, the road, the Emmaus Road. But anyway, uh, J.B. Hicks and our guest today, in, in just a minute, I want to remind you that we have a fundraiser coming up next week. So next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there will be no live podcast. Next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we have our biannual fundraiser. And you're most welcome to go to StandUpForTheTruth.com and up, uh, where is it? Uh, it says support or donate. There it is, support the ministry, upper right hand, right next to about the show. So you can donate safe and secure online. Uh, you can use uh, whatever, PayPal, um, go to the radio station website and uh, credit card, safe and secure. Or you can mail in your pledge or donation. We do this every six months. And God has kept us on the air for, I think, 26, 27, 28. Anyway, many years. And he is faithful And we have been so blessed. I want to say this because I don't know why. But in the last two years, our donations have been, I mean, more than we've ever received before. More support and more people contacting us, letting us know they're praying for this ministry. As you know, we've been censored, shadow banned, and suppressed on social media and other outlets. It's amazing that God still uses this ministry. And I thank you for supporting the podcast in whatever way you will. So I just want to open in prayer. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the resurrection. And thank you that there is so much evidence and proof that we can stand on, that that it is just um, so encouraging to those of us who believe and who know the truth, because it has truly set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And we have a hope that this world does not understand. But please help us, give, give us a sense of urgency to communicate clearly and articulate the gospel and to be led by the Holy Spirit in individual interactions and discussions so that we can respond with what they need to hear in that moment. We love you. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for choosing us in Christ to go and bear fruit that will last. We lift up this day to you. We thank you, God, for your great faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're doing part two of an interview we began last month with Dr. J.B. Hickson, who, for our newer listeners, author and pastor of Plum Creek Chapel near Denver, Colorado. He's the founder of Not By Works Ministries. That's notbyworks.org. And he's got a brand new book, which we started talking about last month. Of course, we couldn't possibly touch on every subject he covers in the book, but it's called Spirit of the Antichrist, The Gathering Cloud of Deception. And J.B. Hickson, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Hey, David. Thanks so much for having me on. Always a pleasure. Always a blessing to have you on. And and, uh, it's just I've learned so much personally from you, from your books, from your ministry. And it's been just great getting to know you and Wendy and the family there at uh, Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado. So, JB, um, before we get into, I've got several, you know, uh, post-it notes flagging your book pages, and and before we get into the questions that I have in part two of this interview on your book, Spirit of the Antichrist, could you please give our listeners that maybe didn't catch it last time an overview of the book? Yeah, you bet. I think a, a good place to start would be a conversation I had 
recently with a FedEx driver uh, who was delivering uh, our third shipment, actually, of of books. The Lord's really been opening doors for uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, and we're uh, really excited about that. But this uh, uh, young man was unloading the boxes of books at our office, and he said uh, something to the effect of, you know, what are these, uh, books or something? He could kind of tell by how heavy the boxes were. And I said, yeah, it's a, uh, I'm, an, I'm an author, and it's my new book, and um, it's called Spirit of the Antichrist. I'd love to give you a copy. And he said, oh, well, what's it about? And I said, well, it's about uh, the biblical view of the end times and how uh, Satan is trying to usher in a one-world system and uh, kind of described it a little bit more like that. And he goes, uh, well, no thanks. I only like to read fiction. <laughs> and I, I think that's part of the problem, David, with our wow. uh, with believers today. Yes. They're, they're living in non-reality, and they're quite comfortable uh, staying there. And uh, But this book really exposes a lot of uh, facts and data and uh, some pretty eye-opening material that a lot of people aren't aware of uh, coming from the perspective of the Luciferian elite who are trying desperately to overthrow God and take this world for their own and install their own uh, king, uh, Satan. And so uh, in the book, we, we kind of start out by talking about the biblical foundation for this uh, cosmic uh, struggle between God and Satan. We go to Psalm chapter 2, uh, which outlines the conspiracy uh, where the rulers of the earth are taking counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, trying to break God's bonds and cast away his cords from them. And uh, and then we uh, sort of trace uh, how this conspiracy involves Satan, demons, and human agents, human beings that are part of the Luciferian conspiracy, and and we give all kinds of historical data in addition to scriptural data. We diagram uh, the conspiracy out to talk about the different levels of it, and then we, we get into uh, some manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist. And that title, by the way, uh, comes from the book of First John, chapter 4, where John tells us, that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. Hmm. And uh, so if that's true, and we, of course, know that it is because God's Word said it is, then that means that uh, even though we don't know when the rapture is going to happen or when these end times events are going to be fully rolled out, uh, the stage is certainly being set, and uh, the Antichrist's characteristics that will be so um, prevalent when he actually takes over the world for that seven-year period, as Jesus talked about and Daniel talked about and we read about in the book of Revelation, uh, that those characteristics should already be sort of simmering to the top. And boy, are they. And mm. so, yeah, we, we talk about all kinds of uh, manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist. And uh, if uh, listeners want to learn more, they can just go to spiritoftheantichrist.org spiritoftheantichrist.org, and we have the full preface to the book uh, uh, there. They can read it, and we also list the entire table of contents uh, so they can kind of see what topics we talk about. Wow, JB. There's so many follow-up questions I have based on what you just shared. I think we're going to need another hour after this one, but I want to go to just encourage people in that chapter, 1 John 4. um, In verse 4, a good reminder to keep in mind as we talk about some of these things, that are, that are true, that are happening, that are prophetic, but, you know, somewhat disturbing. Uh, it says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So the Holy Spirit in us is greater. Um, they are, it says, They are from the world. They speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. The one who knows God listens to us. And the one who is not from God does not listen to us. That's pretty clear. And it says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So it gives us kind of like a a formula on on how to discern or that we should know by these things, by these things. But I want to ask you something. You said when you talked to that FedEx driver um, or UPS driver, whoever it was, a lot of Christians do want to avoid what's really happening because it is disturbing and the response was in, incredible, JB. I only like to read fiction. And I've been really <laughs> looking at this topic lately of escapism. 
And I want to just define this. I know, know we can get into your book in, in a minute, but this is important based on what you brought up, because a lot of believers in the church, that's one reason maybe they don't pursue prophecy and read the book of Revelation. I uh, don't want to look at what's happening in culture or globalist, the agendas against us. It says escapism is the habitual diversion of the mind to purely imaginative activity or entertainment as an escape from reality or routine. JB, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly right. The world has become so overwhelmingly oppressive and different. It's changing you know, every day almost, it seems. And certainly we can see in the last two years how you know, long-held paradigms have, have just absolutely been turned on their head. And I think it's it's causing people to just have this cognitive dissonance where they they just can't really get their hands around it. So they just, you know, look for some type of a, of escape. And, you know, in the book, we we certainly don't want people to be scared ever. Fear is that kind of fear is not of the Lord. Mm-hmm. But but although we're not scared, we should be prepared. And that's uh, really the point that we make in the closing chapter of the book that, you know, like you said, David, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Uh, there is a spiritual battle raging, Ephesians six twelve. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But God has given us the victory. Hmm. And, you know, we just celebrated yesterday the resurrection of our Lord. And at that uh, momentous time in human history. He overcame death, hell, and the grave, issued the fatal wound to Satan, as was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. And so the victory's already been won. I mean, that's Mm. the fact of the matter. And so uh, we don't have to fight this battle because we're in danger of losing it. We fight this battle because we've already won it. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, as I quote in the book, my, my good friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Stallard, said, the last thing the world needs right now is sleepy Christians, and uh, that's what most Christians are. First Thessalonians 5 tells us, let, in chapter 5, verse 6, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And uh, so, yeah, escapism is is something that we all do in various ways and to greater or lesser degrees, but for such a time as this, I think we need uh, uh, to, to be jolted awake and, and see what's coming and prepare for it. And, yes. th- and that's what I hope this uh, book, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, is, is, a, is just a great big alarm clock uh, going off for the, for the church. And I think this calls for a lot of discernment on our part, JB, when you said uh, I think people, some, some people need to be jolted awake. Because many, and I don't know the numbers, I don't think there are accurate numbers, but many within the church, professing believers, do not want to be jolted awake. Um, and so we are, what, do you, what advice do you give those who are listening who, we know people like that. We love them. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ, but stuff that's going on around the world is just too hard to deal with for some of them. Yeah, I think uh, the only advice I can give is to remember the words of Leonardo da Vinci that I quote at the beginning of the book in the epigraph. He said, there are three classes of people, those who see, those who see when they are shown, and those who don't see. And we talked about that last month on the show. But uh, I think there are certain people that, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to jolt them awake. You just have to, you know, you can make the information available. Uh, for example, you can give them a copy of, of the book. Uh, and there are a lot of other great books out there that expose the Luciferian conspiracy. I think very few, if any, that do it from a consistent, literal, grammatical, historical, biblical framework, as I've tried to do in the book, uh, because this conspiracy, this grand conspiracy, as it's been referred to through the, through the centuries, is biblical. And we, we see it. We see it from the moment Satan got kicked out of heaven, and we see it traced Throughout Scripture, we see King David talk about it in Psalm 2, and the New Testament reference it. So uh, so you, there are things you can do, but if people won't listen, then I think we're left to, uh, to just pray for them and move on to others, because it's not going to get better if the Lord tarries is coming. Yes. Uh, what people need to understand is that depravity is a degenerative disease, and the message of Scripture is not that this old earth sold under sin uh, under the sway of the wicked one, First John five nineteen. This this age where Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It's not going to get better and better and better, and self correct. 
uh, and then Jesus will come back at the climax of it. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, the Bible makes that very clear. Second Timothy 3.13 says, Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, mm-hmm. deceiving and being deceived. But Christ is going to come back someday, uh, and he's going to defeat the Antichrist and the false prophet at the Battle of Armageddon. He's going to take the throne of his father David, as promised him, and he's going to mm-hmm. rule over a kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness uh, that are unprecedented mm-hmm. in the human history. And that's God's plan of bringing human history full circle uh, back to a pre-fall Edenic state. So, uh, you know, we, 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 we need to wake people up to the fact that if you're going to stick your head in the sand, well, you know, you, you, you may uh, end up facing uh, more suffering and more oppression and persecution than others who saw it coming in yes. preparation. Yes, and it will shock them as opposed to those of us who are not surprised because we've been informed, studying, researching, understanding the times and the biblical uh, warnings, really. Um, You talk a lot about the unprecedented deception and tyranny on a global scale in the book, Spirit of the Antichrist. And by the way, if you just tuned in, we're speaking with Dr. and Pastor J.B. Hickson. Let's jump over to page 43. We've got four minutes left in this first segment. Talk about setting the stage. So set this up for us, how, it, I mean, in part, they used you know COVID and the pandemic to further their plans, the Luciferian agenda. Yeah, you know, Rahm Emanuel famously said back in 2008, never let a good crisis go to waste. But what a lot of people don't realize is he was just parroting a longstanding strategy of the Luciferian playbook. Uh, It started with Niccolo Machiavelli, Mm -hmm. uh, who said it back in 1513. And then we've seen Winston Churchill repeat it. Saul Alinsky reiterated it in 1972 in his book, Rules for Radicals. So what they mean by that is they are basically laying the foundation right now for what Satan has lusted for and, and, and worked for ever since he got kicked out of heaven, and that is a one-world political, religious, economic system governed by a Luciferian elite uh, and in a tyrannical way that with no national sovereignty, no nation-states, and, uh, and that's you know not something that they can just snap their fingers and make happen, because, of course, Satan, uh, unlike our Creator God, is not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent. Uh, so it is a long-standing goal. And, you know, I point out in the book with several quotes that they've been talking about the 2020s, that this decade that we're in right now, for decades themselves. Hmm. You, know, you can go back 100 years and look at uh, writings of some of the Luciferians who who talk about 2025, 2026, and then of course they the part of setting the stage was rolling out Agenda 21 with the UN, and now they've shifted that to Agenda 2030. But then because of the success of the pandemic, which we have an entire chapter on that, Chapter Nine is 50 pages with well documented. Uh, research. And by the way, there's uh, 38 pages of bibliographic citations. So this is well documented, and I encourage people to study it on their own. Don't just take my word for it. But the the, the, the control of Irish scandemic, as I like to call it, was <laughs> planned for at least 22 years prior yes. to its rollout in early 2020, at least in America. And, uh, and this was a key uh, measure that they were using to issue a global control grid. Friends, you need to understand that what he just said is and was true, that it has been in the works for many years, well over two decades, and there is plenty of proof. And thank you for putting that extensive research in your bibliography so people can read it and go, no way is this true. They can just go and look at the sources and do some research for themselves. So thank you, JB, for putting that extensive research in the back of your book, Spirit of the Antichrist. Two minutes left. Uh, Rules for Radicals. I just want to mention, often when I hear that, I remember in the year 2010. Now, this is off topic slightly, but I just got to bring it up. that In the uh, government-run education system, when the left and the communists and socialists in America and the Democrat Party were coming against Governor Scott Walker in Wisconsin, and they took over the Madison, Wisconsin state capitol building, and they had tables set up for the Socialist Party USA. They were signing up people literally. Uh, teachers were encouraging their, their students to skip class, and there was a lot of signs with the com- blue communist clenched fist. And um, they, at that time, I did some research, and at that time, on the website, the National Education Association, the teachers you know, own their website, they had recommended reading, 
And one of those books was Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. JB, does this have any connection with, with, with what you talk about with Spirit of the Antichrist? Absolutely. Uh, Saul Alinsky was one of the Luciferian agents, and he was part of helping to spread that message. He dedicated his book, Rules for Radicals, to Lucifer. He also told Playboy magazine in a March 1972 interview that, you know, hell is his kind of place, and he can't wait to get there so he can start organizing, you know, all the people in hell. So uh, no question that this, this is just one small part of a broader conspiracy to deceive the world. Mm. Thank you, JB. When we come back, we're going to take our first break here. We are talking about part two of this interview about the book, Spirit of the Antichrist, The Gathering Cloud of Deception. We will talk about the evil of two lessers. What does that mean? I'll let JB explain it from his book. Also, COVID-19 and the U.S. military. And so much more when we come back with Pastor JB Hickson on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. All right, we're back with J.B. Hickson, and we were talking about some things, where to go. There's so much information in this uh, nearly 300-page book. Um, but, I, J.B., you said you wanted to share something from uh, your church service yesterday or, or a conversation you had. Yeah, this was really funny. Uh, you know, we had a wonderful Lord's Day yesterday on Resurrection Sunday, and uh, my daughter and granddaughter were there. Uh, my granddaughter's two and a half years old. And while I was up front at the beginning of the service making some announcements and just kind of welcoming all of the visitors that we had and everyone, uh, she, my little two and a half year old, who's pretty precocious, she said something, but they were kind of sitting toward the back and uh, couldn't quite hear it. And I made the mistake of, but some people laughed that were sitting around her. They kind of laughed out loud. So I knew it was something uh, cute, but I wasn't sure what it was. Well, I made the mistake of saying, oh, hey, what, what did she say? And so my daughter repeated very loudly. She said, are you done talking yet, Papa? <laughs> Which is what she calls me. And so I just thought, oh, how funny. You know, little two-year-old is just not used to sitting in a service where, where someone's up front talking. And But, you know, that's what, uh, you, know, that's what you hear. I, I kind of joked back. I made a after everybody stopped laughing, I made a joke that, yeah, you know, she's just saying what everybody else is thinking, you know, yeah. out of the mouth of babes. But, you know, really the, the, there is a kind of a serious point uh, to that, and that is that this message is so vital that it's something that I've been talking about for 15 years. I've written uh, other uh, materials about it. I have a book that came out 10 years ago on the same uh, subject. And boy, you talk about how much has changed in 10 years. It's unbelievable, even in the last two years. But uh, I don't intend to stop talking about this particular topic uh, because it's something that uh, we're called to do, to speak the truth and, uh, and, and to combat lies and and let people, you know, make people aware of what's coming down the, the train track. Mm. So we promised people, I just teased, that we were going to talk about this idea of the evil of two lessers, starting on page 82 of your book. And before we do that, because you bring up Mitt Romney, which, thank you, uh, people, got, people just have to tell the truth. Whether you think someone's a nice person or not, whether they're a Republican or not, please Tell the truth and call it out. Um, he voted to confirm this radical Supreme Court justice, and I'll say it because she is going to continue. She's got a glaring pro-abortion record, including work with abortion activists, suppressing the free speech of pro-life advocates, and she would also endorse the censorship that we've been seeing by the one-party big tech media conglomerate. This is going to continue if I mean, she's on the Supreme Court now. So go ahead, JB, the evil of two lessers. Explain that and share whatever you want. And I, I thank you at that time during when Romney was running for president, you speaking the truth about that. Even share that because people didn't like it, did they? No, they didn't. And so, yeah, that title of that section, it's in chapter six of the of the book, which that chapter is entitled Operation Mockingbird and the False Left-Right Paradigm. And it's a, a pretty powerful chapter that kind of awakens people and exposes them to the fake left-right paradigm and lets them know that while we have philosophical differences on the right and the left, in reality, it's a one-party system. Mm -hmm. Nothing ever changes. I give lots of documentation about that. But back in 2012, when Mitt Romney was uh, challenging Barack Obama for president, I, I wrote an article 
in which I exposed some of Romney's absolutely stunning liberal views. But, of course, many people uh, were blind to that, didn't realize all they could see was the R after his name and yep. the fact that he wasn't Barack Obama. And so, uh, you know, they were they kept echoing back this concept of, well, it's he's the, you know, the lesser of two evils. Right. And so I got to thinking lesser of two evils. When did it become OK in God's eyes for us to vote for evil, no matter what degree of evil it is? Amen. <laughs> and so uh, that's where I kind of came up with that phrase, the evil of two lessers. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's used it, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it is amazing what people don't know because they don't look for it. And uh, we, we pointed out how uh, I actually linked in my article back then to a, a YouTube video uh, where readers were could see Romney uh, giving a speech at a, actually it was at a debate uh, when he was running for some office in Massachusetts years ago. Uh, and uh, in that uh, video, he was passionately and vehemently defending the rights of underage girls to get an abortion without parental consent. And he, I remember he said, this is a paraphrase, but it was, he, he got really emotionally, he, he basically said, I don't care if they're 13 or 14 or 15, it doesn't matter. They should be able to have access to abortions without their parents getting involved. Mm. And uh, boy, you know, people just, you'd think I had insulted, you know, God himself or something. And uh, so I think we need to get past this notion of, you know, we've got to vote for the Republican no matter what um, and recognize that sometimes when all that's on the menu is Coke and Pepsi, you should just be able to say, no, thanks. I don't like either. And um, so, you know, that's uh, something that, uh, you know, we need to think about. There is when you talk about the lesser of two evils, you're still talking about evil. And so Mm -hmm. I think a better phrase is the evil of two lessers. (laughs) So. Uh, JB, could you please clarify, because we really encourage true believers in Jesus Christ to go vote, particularly at the local level, which we have kind of lost sight of and control of in our country, sadly. So you're not saying that you do not vote or don't go vote. Just, you know, what, could you please clarify that? Yeah, you bet. So and then, and by the way, this is just volume one. Spirit of Antichrist, the Gathering Cloud of Deception. In volume two, I'm going to dedicate an entire chapter to uh, the history of rigged elections and how they've been rigging Mm. elections at the national level for decades. And ever since they came out with the digital voting machines, I was talking about this uh, 15 years ago when no one knew what Dominion was. I was talking about it. Mm. And and I wasn't the only one. There are a lot of people out there in uh, conservative um, you know, research arenas that have t- talked about how you can't trust the election. So at the national level, and, and I will directly answer your question, but sure. let me just set the stage. Mm-hmm. At the national level, the, the minute they went to digital voting, where there's no physical ballots to, 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 you know, to trace the provenance, and some kids sitting in a cubicle can, can, with a few keystrokes, change the outcome of elections anywhere in the country, uh, that became a problem. And so Elections have been rigged for a long time. You know, the 2020 election, which was the most blatant example of it and which awakened many people to it, thankfully, was by no means the first rigged election. We don't have elections anymore. We have selections. And this is, you know, well documented. And I give several documentary references in the book that people can study for more uh, if they're interested in this. So I think at the national level, I think it's it's a waste of time. That's just my opinion. Uh, and there's nothing immoral or sinful about that. I mean, uh, if you lived in North Korea where they have votes every year, but you knew they were all rigged, you wouldn't vote. It, it, you're not going to be made a fool of. And so I think people just need to study the issue and then make their own decisions. And I respect everyone's decision uh, in that regard. But at the local level, and you said it, yes. where it's much more difficult to control every single vote, I think that's where we still have some hope. And we need to be concerned with who's on the school board and who's our sheriff and who are the county commissioners that are going to institute medical tyranny or not, those types of things. Uh, and we need you know, godly men and women who have conservative biblical worldviews to step up and, and try to run for office at that, those levels. But um, so, yeah, I encourage people uh, to vote, but I think you need to be informed. And there's nothing spiritual about going through the motions of pushing a button on a computer screen and hope and somehow thinking you've done your duty uh, when in reality those votes are easily, easily manipulated. Yes. And in fact, 
on record are being manipulated. There have been mm-hmm. congressional hearings about it. People have died because of it, trying to expose it as whistleblowers. And uh, again, we we touch on it a little bit in this book in Chapter uh, 6, uh, but uh, we will get into it in much greater detail in Volume 2. Sure. Well, I don't want to give too much away from Volume 2 because we've got you here talking about Volume, volume 1, but I have to ask another follow-up question because our listeners are concerned about now and other than prayer and knowing the Word of God, what we can do. So, JB, and I know this is speculation to a large degree, if, you know, they, they say that uh, 10 to 10, anywhere between 10 and 30 million professing Christians in America do not vote in elections. So the question would be, if a few million more believers voted, actually voted in elections, I personally think elections wouldn't be as close, but would voter fraud and rigged elections still impact outcomes if that were the case, if more Christians voted? Uh, I mean, again, I think it depends on the context. Certainly in smaller uh, demographics, I think it absolutely will and does every election cycle. At the national level, I, I don't think so, because, you know, 2020 is a perfect case study. Uh, those who've listened to me and followed Not By Works Ministries for many years know that I'm, I'm certainly no fan of Donald Trump, but he was the candidate. And, uh, and there's no question that literally, you know, orders of magnitude, more people voted for him mm-hmm. than Biden, and yet they're able to manipulate uh, the vote. And mm-hmm. there's all kinds of research out there that shows this. And uh, of course, the mainstream media is complicit. Uh, you know, both Fox News and CNN uh, they hide the evidence, and and so it's a selection, not an election. And so it doesn't really matter how many more millions uh, of people vote for it; they can still manipulate it. And one quick story about that: uh, back during that same uh, well, let's see, this would have been in 2016. Uh, yeah, twenty in the lead up to the 2016 uh, election, uh, when there were like 17 at one point Republican candidates, and then they just kept whittling down, whittling down, and finally Donald Trump was the last man standing. I had the opportunity to go to a big uh, meeting, conservative meeting, and I wasn't speaking, but I did have a not by works resource table and was able to kind of hobnob with some other like-minded conservatives. But at this meeting, uh, several of the key Republican candidates uh, were speaking. And I had the opportunity to have one-on-one meetings with several of them, including uh, Ted Cruz, and was able to just sit down with him and ask him his testimony and how he came to know the Lord and other pointed questions like, why does his wife, why is his wife a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and things like that. But I got to meet several of them. And one of them, was a after he spoke i went up to him off stage and and said uh uh and it was the guy his name escapes me now but he was the uh catholic he's a catholic guy with a lot of children and he's very outspoken against abortion uh, a lot of conservatives like him but anyway uh, you would know his name if i could think of it <laughs> and maybe it'll come to me but i asked him point blank and there were witnesses around i said you know given the fact that with digital voting the elections are easily rigged how can you how can you assure a conservative like me that if I vote for you, um, Rick Santorum, that's who it was. OK, I said, I said, Senator Santorum, how can you uh, uh, ensure a, con- a guy like me, if I vote for a conservative like you, that my vote will count? Well, I expected him because there were cameras there and other things. I expected him to tout the party line and say, oh, no, our our election system is sacrosanct. It's you. You can count on it. You just need to get out and vote. But he looked me right in the eye and he said, that's why we need to win by more than 10 percent. So basically, he was admitting that the elections are rigged. And so, you know, I mean, this is a a, a senator, a U.S. senator. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think people need to be aware of it. But no, I I don't necessarily think we can beat the system until, you know, Christ comes back and rules with perfect justice. And we don't have, you know, fake elections. Senator, uh, I would have voted for him, by the way, Santorum, uh, and so many others who ran throughout the years. Um, there, there, were, there were good candidates. And um, anyway, we, we have who they finally select for us to choose to vote for and elect or not. But let, let's go. We're going to have to continue this probably on the other side of the break, uh, JB, in four minutes. But COVID-19 in the U.S. military, on page 155, uh, you do talk about VAERS. You do talk about uh, the work that uh, Senator Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson's been doing 
in his COVID-19 hearings. And just share a little bit about that. Thomas Renz is uh, in there. He's presenting uh, medical billing data. Um, So, but people yet still either ignore this or call it conspiracy. So share a little bit about, just to give us a little taste of what you wrote in the book about COVID-19 in the military. Sure. And just to remind listeners, you know, uh, they can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org to kind of find out more about it. And it's difficult in a, a short program like this of only one hour to really make the case. And so I know a lot of the stuff that that we're talking about might sound shocking. And that's why I encourage people don't just assume that it's true. Go ahead and check it out. Do your own research. Mm-hmm. But but clearly, and I, to answer your question, I have to start with the big picture. The Luciferians, in order to usher in the New World Order, they have to destroy America. That's been part of their stated agenda for many, many years. And uh, because we're the one thing really standing in the way. There are still uh, you know, uh, millions of God-fearing, patriotic, Bible-believing, gun-owning Christians who uh, it would be a little bit messy. So they've got to bring us down. And so a lot of the things that they're doing, which which you've talked about with many guests on your program and written about in your book, things like CRT and, you know, the socialist agenda and, you know, compulsory government schooling and those types of things are all part of a larger plan. And, and that includes um, really... Uh, destroying our military and weakening our military. And one way they're doing that is through these, uh, you know, gene editing bioinjections that are very dangerous. Uh, nobody can dispute that anymore. Even the government's own data coming out of the CDC and, um, you know, and the uh, health and human services and government agencies like that show that the number of adverse effects are just off the charts. Mm-hmm. And we have you know, decades worth of data to compare this to. So it's not like this is new research. They've been studying the effects of vaccines forever. So, you know, what I talk about in that section of Chapter 9 called COVID-19 in the United States military is how, you know, uh, Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, on August 24, 2021, issued a, a mandatory vaccination order uh, for all U.S. military servicemen and women. And, uh, and the results of that, you know, here we are, uh, you know, uh, so, so almost a year later, are devastating, absolutely devastating. And this has been pointed out in a number of uh, uh, documented articles. David Daniel Horowitz and Blaze Media uh, points this out. But the this, this meet the military's own data yes. show thousands of percent increase in the reported cases of things like hypertension, nervous system diseases. Uh, neoplasms of the esophagus, multiple sclerosis, digestive problems, Guillain-Barre syndrome, breast cancer, uh, you know, thyroid issues, infertility, migraines, mm-hmm. ovarian dysfunction, testicular cancer, all tachycardia. I mean, it's just on and on and on. And so, again, you know, where is the outcry about this? I mean, so what they're doing is they're getting rid of the God-fearing men and women who've refused to take the vaccine. And they already, going all the way back to the Obama administration, were calling out top-level senior generals from all the branches of the military uh, who didn't tote the New World Order party line. And so now what we're left with is, um, you know, military servicemen and women who many of them are have this ticking time bomb within them. And, um, and, and so it's, 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 you know, going to be interesting, not interesting, but really horrifying to see what happens over the next months uh, and years as really these um, COVID shots and the boosters uh, continue to have such a devastating effect. JB, when we come back from our break, I'm going to let you answer this question because a listener uh, called in uh, last time and said, uh, you guys are just fear mongering. I'm not going to listen to your station anymore or your podcast. So because of the VAERS and what you just mentioned, these actual stats, I'm going to allow you to respond to that, Christian. Also, we'll talk about geoengineering and Mother Earth and its disease of humans. More with J.B. Hickson when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So, J.B. Hickson, last time you were on, and, and often when we have certain guests on that talk about these things when it comes to medical tyranny, COVID, the vaccines, or VAERS, some people, and we had one specifically, I won't give her name, but she called and said, 
Um, I'm not going to support your station anymore. I'm not going to listen to your podcast. I'm going to go elsewhere. I'd rather listen to K-Love That's because they're always positive and encouraging, So, which is escapism in a way. But anyway, uh, so you're just fear-mongering. Respond to that when we're talking about things such as vaccines and VAERS and what's these figures from the U.S. military. Yeah, so I understand why people might think that. Again, it goes back to this uh, cognitive dissonance, and they just can't allow themselves to believe their people are that evil out there that would do these kinds of things. And, yes. and that's why they need to read a book like Spirit of the Antichrist, because we document mm. uh, the depopulation agenda and how the U.S. government has, you know, there are you know, hundreds of examples of massive uh, things that the government has done experimenting on its own citizens. And these they've awarded you know, reparations for it in many cases. This is not something anybody debates. It's a fact not in dispute. So, but, but people, you know, don't know about it. And, and because just because you've never heard of something doesn't mean it's not true. So Amen. I understand that's a natural reaction that people have, oh, you're just fear-mongering. Yep. And sadly, there are groups out there, especially among the so-called Christian, you know, end times prophecy realm that do kind of give this constant drip feed of dread, trying to encourage people to buy their products or buy their food or yes. buy their you know, preparation stuff. But that's uh, that's not what we're doing. That's not who we are. You know, it's, it's, it's not a, there's not a contrast between encouragement and speaking the truth. It, it is encouraging to get the truth out there because it gives people the knowledge they need to be prepared for what's coming. And again, what, what we do in this book is we run everything through the grid of scripture and we show people how, you know, God wins and uh, this, these things are things we need to be aware of, but not afraid of. So there's a difference between being prepared and being scared. And if the listener who, you know, wrote into to your station said, I'm not going to listen anymore because, you know, you're just trying to make us scared. Well, th- you know, that she's missing the point. Uh, mm-hmm. She's confusing being scared with being prepared. Yes. And uh, that's unfortunate. Yes. So briefly, JB, I know we, we were going to try to cover three things in 12 minutes here, but you write in Chapter 9 on vaccines and big pharma um, about Chantix. And this is just one example that uh, came out. The FDA approved this drug in 2006. Please uh, share a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, you know, people need to understand that the FDA and and the big pharma uh, and big pharma goes all the way back to the early 20th, 20th century uh, have have been part of the agenda. You know, everything changed in the world of medicine in the late 19th, early 20th century with the Rockefeller Foundations and Carnegie Foundations. They they changed the you know schooling paradigm. They changed the medical paradigm, and so that's why you hear people call, talk at Western medicine. Because, you know, it, everything changed over here and it became all about chemicals and injecting people with chemicals. Uh, but to get people to go along with that, they created this alleged government agency that was going to safeguard us against dangerous chemicals and dangerous medicines. And so when people hear that the, uh, the COVID vaccines have been, quote, approved by the FDA, they just need to remember the FDA also said, uh, cigarette smoking doesn't cause cancer. And, uh, but the Chantix example is a great one. In 2006, the FDA approved the drug Chantix, manufactured by Pfizer. Everybody knows who Pfizer is now. <laughs> and it was heralded as a drug that would help people quit smoking cigarettes. Yeah. And their marketing tagline was, it's tough to quit smoking cold turkey. Chantix can help you quit slow turkey. Well, after just a year on the market, the FDA added a warning label indicating that one side effect of taking Chantix is suicidal thoughts. Then in 2008, uh, they added another warning about neuropsychiatric side effects. In 2011, they warned about cardiovascular adverse side effects. Wow. In 2015, they added warnings about alcohol interaction. In 2016, further warnings about mental health side effects. And finally, in 2021, after Chantix had been on the market for 15 years and billions of dollars in profits later, they recalled Chantix due to cancer-causing ingredients. So how many people died or were seriously injured while Pfizer executives lined their pockets for 15 years? And that's so just people just need yeah. to recognize the, the reality here. That's just one example. So, JB, um, we're talking about your new book, The Spirit of the Antichrist. And on a page, let's see, where is it? I have it marked here, 227. Uh, speaking of dangerous chemicals, you talk about geoengineering and the Hegelian dialect. Just briefly wet our whistle about that. Yeah, I just had just yesterday 
someone at Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia came up to me and was talking about how they've been reading the book. And they said, boy, that chapter on geoengineering, I, I don't know. I got to really think about that. I've never even heard of that. Well, <laughs> it's amazing that people haven't heard about it because it's been around for decades. But yeah, geoengineering is basically you know, what what has been called planetary tinkering uh, with the, the stratosphere. It involves all kinds of aspects and there are, you know, patents out there and entire government contracts and uh, private corporations whose sole purpose is to help spray chemicals in the air. But um, I give all kinds of documentation about that. You can talk about, you know, what are they spraying and, and how they are using this as weather warfare. But uh, yeah, I'll just throw it out there. Again, people are going to probably think I'm uh, crazy if you've never heard this before although you know many 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 people have now. Yes. it's just pretty commonly understood mm -hmm. but yes the government <clears throat> can create weather they can make it rain they can steer hurricanes they can create tornadoes they can start fires they can stop fires uh, a lot of what you see happening is not about what it's about uh, it, it seldom is and that's a part of the hegelian dialectic which i've talked about in recent podcasts at not by works but and I think we've talked about it on your program as well, but that goes back to uh, Hegel and uh, his uh, idea of you know problem, reaction, solution. That if you can get people to uh, you know react to a certain problem that you manufacture, <laughs> then you can control the response, and and that's that's part of what this uh, geoengineering is all about. So remember, people remember the Cloward Piven strategy or that agenda and uh, creating the, the crisis and overloading systems. And that's these concepts have been put into play throughout uh, the, the decades, at least in America. Um, so let's go to another section of the book. And I know we're running out of time, seven minutes left, JB. It always goes by so fast with you. But whenever we talk about things such as uh, population control and killing babies or uh, the euthanasia, things like that, um, the, the value of human beings, human life looked at as just a problem because we don't have enough earth or food or whatever. Uh, Bill Gates' name comes up, Warren Buffett, David Rockefeller comes up so often. You've got this little section called Mother Earth and its Disease of Humans. What's that about? Yeah, so it's interesting because the depopulation agenda of the Luciferians is actually connected to the geoengineering that we just talked about, and it, it wow. all goes back to a fake problem. So they think they claim that global warming is an issue or climate change and that we're destroying uh, the Earth because we're driving cars and using too much deodorant, and therefore we've got to step in and use these drastic means by spraying you know, nanoparticles of um, metal, barium, strontium, aluminum, and so forth in the air, and it's destroying our lungs. It's Restoring our plant life and water life and sea life, uh, but the same thing is true with you know other means of depopulation. They claim that you know we there are too many of us and we've got to get you know rid of us. And, uh, and the UN is really out front uh, hmm. on all of this with with you know some of the uh, uh, things that they're promoting and some of their marketing campaigns uh, and so forth. But the fact is, the Luciferians love death. Proverbs says. All those who hate me love death, and they hate God. Lucifer is their God. They think that he's the hero in the Garden of Eden and that God was the antagonist, and they absolutely love death. And his murderous, Satan's murderous agenda goes all the way back to the Garden. Uh, God, uh, Jesus said Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so this depopulation program is just basically priority number one when it comes to the Luciferians. Uh, Charles Dalton's uh, Charles Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, uh, who is kind of known as the founder of eugenics, uh, which is basically ways to control certain races and get rid of others. Uh, he's the one that kind of started this. And he, he said that, and Darwin actually wrote about this in his book, The Descent of Man. And also, by the way, in The Origin of the Species, I know you've had a lot of guests on that talked about that, but a lot of people don't realize that his book, The Origin of the Species, the subtitle was The Preservation of the Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Yes. He wasn't a scientist, he was a eugenicist. Mm -hmm. But Darwin talked about how most people are evolutionary dead ends and only a small elite is actually evolving, and we got to get rid of the feeble-minded and so forth. Of course, people know about Margaret Sanger and yes. uh, in her role uh, in all of this. I've got lots of, uh, you know, well-documented research from her. But uh, Hitler was just 
living out Darwin was his hero. He was just living out the Darwinian ethic in a political realm when he started slaughtering millions of Jews and 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 not just Jews uh, but others. But uh, people would be shocked at how this eugenics movement uh, was so prevalent and overt and openly admitted in the early half of the 20th century. And it's still out there today. It just goes by a different name. Mm -hmm. Um, But Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, a lot of these, uh, Rockefeller, of course, Buffett, are all leading the way in trying to get rid of those who they think are useless breeders. Wow. There seems to be so many parallels, JB, and some of these agendas uh, that are working. They don't know they're working together, but they are between the population control, the environmental movement, the, the, the communism, uh, Democrat socialists and others, the LGBTQ, Black Lives Matter, so many movements in the world, in America, the WEF, uh, the United Nations, so many working together for similar causes. And uh, it's a godless, these are godless movements, it's a godless cause. But in the last two minutes, um, you've got a chapter 11 on avoiding deception. I think our, our listeners need a little bit from that to encourage them right now. Yeah, so Bonhoeffer famously said, if I sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't, as a Christian, simply wait for the catastrophe and then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. Mm-hmm. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. He mm-hmm. went on to say in a well-known statement, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. So I do think that we have a duty to sound the alarm, but we also have the answer in God's Word. And so in chapter 11, I go back to Genesis. I look at Satan's MO, his method of operation, and and kind of what I call the anatomy of deception. And I show that nothing ever changes. He's not creative. He uses the same old tired techniques that he used with Adam and Eve. And uh, that is uh, to question the truth. You start by questioning the truth. What is truth? Then you misrepresent the truth. Hmm. Then you go on to directly contradict the truth. And then you get people to shift the focus so that truth doesn't even matter anymore. It's all about perception. And then you flat out invent new meaning of words. And so uh, those those five steps I get into in chapter 11, I think will help people recognize lies as they are being, uh, you know, uh, put forth uh, in various arenas, whether that's media, classroom, you name it, and, and start to kind of hedge ourselves against them. J.B. Hickson, one more minute. I see over at uh, olivetreeviews.org, um, Jan Markell has my book still available on her website. Thank you, Jan, for offering Canceling Christianity. But I see Spirit of the Antichrist over there available as one of the new products. So you must be doing an interview there in the near future. Do you have a date for that yet? We do. We don't, I don't have the exact date that it's going to air but uh, we'll be doing a, a recording with her next week. Wow. She's so awesome. So thankful to be on uh, the Jen Markell sh- uh, show. And, uh, and so, yeah, look, look forward to that. And I think it'll be an opportunity to kind of introduce a different audience yep. uh, that we've not had the privilege to be on before. But, yeah, spiritoftheantichrist.org. That's what I want to encourage people to check out and, okay. and uh, see what they can do. Thank you, JB. And uh, man, continued success on not only your leading your flock there, a wonderful church family at uh, Plum Creek Chapel, but also the books that you write. I'm looking forward to volume two already, and you're out there promoting volume one. But thank you for the conversation today and for all your hard work. God bless your ministry, JB. Thanks, David. Sure appreciate it. God bless you. God bless. All right, tomorrow we're so thankful have uh, new guests on Mark and Amber Archer. They've got a documentary about the comprehensive sex ed and social emotional learning being forced on children in the government education system. And then we've got Billy Crone, Pastor Billy Crone with us on Wednesday. Thursday, a friend up in Canada who's been arrested for keeping his church open, Pastor uh, James Coates, who's got a book out, God versus Government. And on Friday, Pastor Chris Chris Quintana. It's Pastor Week here. Uh, Thank you guys so very much for supporting the podcast. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.